So, why should I pray? I've noticed that circumstances do change after prayer, but probably no more and no less than when I don't pray. So, why should I pray? Why should I pray? After all, if God is God, God is omniscient, doesn't need me to tell him what's going on, doesn't need me to articulate my concerns, and even if I were able to properly articulate my concerns, he knows better than me what should happen in my life as opposed to what I want him to do in my life, so why should I pray? Why should I pray? He's got bigger fish to fry. He's got Donald Trump to take care of. (laughs) Not to mention Chuck Schumer. ISIS, budgets, immigration. So why should I pray? I'm rather insignificant compared to all of those issues, so why bother the man? In fact, my time would probably be better spent, you know, with an energized, focused attention on things that need to change in my life rather than sit back and pray and wait for divine intervention. So, why should anyone pray? And besides, I've talked to him before, and I've laid it out, and I've asked him to uh, appear, as he did so many times in the scripture, and have a conversation with me, and so far, not a peep. So why should I pray? I think that's a fair question. But Lord, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You've asked your children to pray. You've promised to listen. And so today I'm going to give you the final word one last time. Speak through your word for your servant's are listening. There's lots of scripture that speak about prayer. Today we're going to focus on those sections that talk about the Lord's prayer, the, the perfect prayer. It's found two places in the Bible, Matthew chapter 6, and Luke also records it. The context, what is said before the Lord's prayer in Matthew is different than what's said before the Lord's prayer in Luke, and what follows is different in Matthew, as well as what follows in Luke. So we'll bounce a bit, but we're going to mostly focus on Matthew. Let's take a look at the first four verses from Matthew 6, beginning at verse 5. And when you pray, Jesus said, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the churches, out on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they got what they wanted. They got their attention, and they've received it in full. When you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will answer you or respond to you, reward you. When you pray, don't keep on babbling like non-believers or pagans or people who worship other gods. They think they're going to be heard because of their many words, their ability to articulate their issues. Don't be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. 
That's Matthew's introduction, recording the words of Jesus to his disciples before he got into the actual Lord's Prayer. So far, the Lord and I are on the same page. You know, I, I, really, I really like the fact that he's offended by public, in-your-face displays of Christian piety, that they're offensive to him. Me too. It's, it's been a while back, but uh, I can still remember. Carol can still remember too because she was there. Uh, in college, uh, I was going to college in Austin, Texas, and I lived up by the Michigan border in Indiana, so pretty far away. I couldn't just bounce home for a long weekend. And if we had a long weekend off, I would go and stay with some friends. And on this occasion, uh, Carol had invited me home to meet her parents. And, and uh, another man, uh, a friend of ours, uh, his dad came to pick us up because they lived down in Corpus Christi. It was a, a good piece of driving. So usually her folks would drive one way and his folks would drive another. And, and on the way home, we stopped at the Cottonwood Restaurant. Do you remember? I still remember that. I remember that name after all these years. And it was around Seguin somewhere. And it was just a dusty little spot in the road. And, and we stopped there for lunch because it was a pretty good drive. And uh, the pastor, whose name will remain anonymous, he's long with the Lord, but his son is still alive. <laughs> Uh, and word has a way of getting around. Uh, we stopped in this restaurant, and there was nothing but rednecks in there, and, you know, guns in the back windows, and, and uh, this pastor asked us all to join hands. And so these college kids, and, and he joined hands right in the middle of the restaurant, strategically placed, and he said, let us pray, you know, just like that, out loud, in this diner, out in the middle of Texas. Dear Lord, and he just went on to pray, and I got to tell you, that was the most embarrassing moment. I still remember. I still have scars from that moment. I just wanted to slide under the table. And I just think, you know, what is that about? That isn't about talking to the Lord. That was about getting attention or making a point or shaming some other people, I think. I'm not sure what his actual motive was, but I was offended by the show. Now, I'm not offended by public displays of Christian faith. It's all about motive, just like last week when Pastor Garrett was up here and talked about the law, you know, the law that God has given us in the Ten Commandments. You need to know the motive of God in, in giving the law or you'll miss the point altogether. It's the same with our response to, to God. You need to know about motive. I love to see people pray in restaurants. And we've taught our kids to do that. But it's not about show. In fact, you'll hardly notice, you know, we just join our hands in prayer, we bow our heads and we pray softly, not to interrupt the other diners, not to put our faith on display like that because, you know, it's not about them, it's about us teaching our children and also humbling ourselves before the Lord for all of his blessings in our lives. So it's not wrong, in fact, I I think it's an awesome thing to see and I encourage that kind of quiet piety. I've conducted a, a few funerals in my life. And, and uh, again, people from all walks of life, non-believers, believers alike, or people who believe different things will come to a Christian funeral just because of the relationship they have. And, and uh, I love the fact that a family will get up or they will inform the pastor and a eulogy, a eulogy gets shared. It's not just a reading of God's word. It's not just a message, but it's a personal expression of what faith has done for that individual and how it's changed their life. And I think that's a powerful thing to share, properly done for the right reason. 
In fact, I, I met this past week with an, uh, a couple that's about to get married. It's a second marriage for both of them. It's been a while since they've been married. And, and uh, I was talking about the nature of the service and some other things that were going on in their life. And, and uh, the bride said, can we just walk down the aisle, you do your thing in 10 minutes, and we'd be out of here? Would that be okay? I said, well, we could do that, but I could also give you the number for a JP, and he could take care of it that way. You know, this is going to be a spiritual thing, isn't it? Isn't that what you want? I mean, you came to a pastor after all, and they said, yeah, yeah, that's what we want. And uh, I got to tell you that in, in my mind, uh, in the services I conduct, the weddings that I conduct, one of the most precious moments is, is when that couple takes their first meal together as husband and wife as uh, participation in the Lord's Supper. Not for everybody, because people have all manner of belief and some no belief, and it would be improper to ask them to to uh, participate, but uh, usually a song is sung, the congregation is focused somewhere else, and I turn my mic off, and it's just between myself and this couple as their first meal together for the forgiveness of their sins and for the strengthening of their faith is, is the Lord's Supper. It's, it's, it's a poignant moment for them, and it's something I hope they will always remember. So I'm not against public expressions of faith. It's all about how you do it and why you do it. God was clearly offended by people who liked to shout out in the church their public prayers to be seen by people. It's not that God's opposed to that. It's just that I think he prefers one-on-one conversations as opposed to group conversations. So do I. I like group discussion. I like to be with friends and talk about a subject. But it doesn't get very personal. It doesn't get very intimate. You know, when it's in a group situation, because, you know, it's not safe. It's not that God's opposed to group prayer. In fact, in Psalm 52, uh, he says, David says, For what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of all your people. You know, may I always lift up holy hands in your place and give you praise for you are an awesome God. You know, it's, it's proper to have public prayer, but the prayer that the Lord especially likes is one-on-one prayer. It's just like conversation. One-on-one conversation is different than group conversation. It can be more personal. It can be more pointed, and, and you can share more intimately. I don't know if you saw the movie, The War Room. It's a Christian movie. It's been out probably half a dozen years. Fascinating movie. It's about a, a lady named Miss Clara, uh, an older Christian lady uh, who wants to sell her house. And this agent uh, comes to visit her and, and uh, scope out the house. They happen to go to the same church together, and she's always admired Miss Clara, although their worlds are completely different. Miss Clara is quite humble and, and uh, of uh, modest means, and, and the realtor, uh, whose name is Elizabeth, and her husband are, are very affluent. She's been a high-priced realtor. Her husband is in pharmaceuticals. But things are not right at their home. And uh, I'm not going to tell you the whole movie, but, but uh, Miss Clara, as she shows this agent her home, says, now this is the room that's going to be hardest for me to live, leave. And it was just a closet. And she says, well, why? This is nothing special. She goes, oh, this is, this is the war room. This is where I come to do war against the devil and temptation and evil. This is where I come to pray. This is where the Lord and I meet. And you can see pinholes throughout the walls of the drywall in the the closet. And she had a chair in there, no clothes. 
And that's where she went to pray for her family and her grandchildren and, and various people who uh, had come to mind. And, and her witness begins to change Elizabeth and her husband, and their life is rescued because they learned what Jesus said. You know, I prefer those people who go into private and pray in private, and the God who sees in private will answer their prayer. So, Lord, you and I are on the same page. We're, we're against showy Christianity, and, and we prefer private one-on-one conversations, intimate conversations when we pray. And I noticed, too, that you prefer an economy of words and, and not extravagance, you know. We're not going to be heard for a lot of babbling when it comes to prayer. I do, too. Now, I've been doing this gig for a while, and so I'm somewhat articulate, I suppose, by comparison to most, because I'm very familiar with Scripture, I'm very familiar with prayer, and I've led a lot of worship services, and so it's not hard for me to stand up and pray about anything. But I'm especially moved when somebody struggles in prayer, and when they have those pauses, and they're searching for just the right word. And it's not how well they can articulate, but how sincere they can share their deepest thoughts with the Lord who sees in secret. So far, the Lord and I are in perfect agreement, but we're about to get into the Lord's Prayer now. We're about to take a look at those petitions that actually form the prayer that we all know, or most of us know, and can speak without a second thought. Now, I want to bounce over to Luke Because Luke gives us a a context for why Jesus prayed the prayer. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. John taught his disciples to pray. There's a couple of things that are highlighted there. I, I think it's interesting that they were watching Jesus pray. And Jesus clearly was not doing it on a street corner, was clearly not doing it in a synagogue. He just said, I don't like that kind of prayer. In fact, if you look at Mark, in the very first chapter of Mark, it says that Jesus often got up early in the morning while it was still dark and went off in quiet to pray. His disciples noticed the intensity and the sincerity of his prayer. And when they saw that, they said, man, I wish I had that kind of relationship with God. So they observed his quiet and sincere prayer and said, man, I need to learn more about prayer. I thought I knew prayer, but I don't pray like that. And John taught his disciples to pray. So Lord, teach us to pray. The reason that's important is because a lot of people think this is you know, kind of a magic act when we pray the Lord's Prayer. In fact, back in the day when I used to open up the hymnal and do the Lutheran liturgy over baptisms, there was a special service for that. And there was a place where you were asked to place your hands on the baby and pray the Lord's Prayer and the congregation would pray it with you. And I, I kind of, after a while, just felt uncomfortable with that because the Lord's Prayer is not a blessing. You know, it's not some magical thing. It's an instruction in the things that ought to concern ourselves when we pray. That's what it is. And in fact, I remember years ago when I first conducted a service and didn't actually include the Lord's Prayer in the service, and, and the, the church was used to always following the liturgy, and man, my phone rang off the wall. And I said, show me in the Bible where it says we're supposed to always use the Lord's Prayer. It's not in there. In fact, if you look at the context in Luke, 
it was given to teach us. It wasn't given so that we would always pray that prayer, as though that's a better prayer than every other prayer. It was given to teach us some things about prayer. So let's look at it, and let's see what Jesus wants to teach us. This, then, is how you ought to pray. Our Father in heaven, holy or hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses or debts, depending on your culture, as we also forgive those who hold things against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, normally we would add, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. But I would bet that you've been in churches where they stopped with deliver us from evil and you kept on with that and everybody else stopped and you felt a little silly, you know. It's because those words aren't actually in the Bible, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, but they've been added later. They're, they're very ancient. They go back to the earliest church and there's nothing wrong with them. They're kind of a conclusion of doxology to God. But uh, they're not necessarily in the Bible, and so the Bible has omitted them, or at best put them in probably the footnotes at the bottom, or if they're in the text, they're in parentheses. For if you forgive, it's interesting, he goes back to this idea, you know, forgive us as we forgive others, and then at the, in Matthew after, Luke does different, but in Matthew after the Lord's Prayer, he goes back to this idea, because your relationship with God is based on forgiveness, and I would incline to say, based on his words, that your relationship with others is also based on grace, your forgiveness and theirs. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So let's start our discussion with what prayer is and what prayer is not. First of all, prayer is a conversation between a loving parent and a beloved child. Our Father who art in heaven. Think of God as your father. That's pretty impressive to say. Now, I know something about a relationship between a parent and a child because I'm a parent. Even if you're not a parent, you should know something because probably you had a parent. I'm just guessing you might have had a parent. There's something special about that relationship. There's something special about that conversation that's unlike any other, even to this day. Carol's oldest son is 40 years old. By her first marriage. I'm her first marriage. Just have to add that so she doesn't come up and storm the stage. But I still have conversations with that man who is our son. And it's different than the conversation I'll have with anyone else. Because we have history together. We have life together. So that relationship with a father or with a mother is different than anything else. It's a safe place for me to talk, for them to talk. And it's a place where superficial conversation don't cut it. You know, if they're smoozing me, I'll just say, knock it off. Tell me what you're really, what, can we get to the point here? You know, you probably wouldn't say that to anybody else, but you'll say that to your child because superficiality is not allowed in a conversation between a parent and a child. It's not a peer discussion either, by the way. It's not a friend. You know, it's a respectful conversation 
between a child who I would pray would respect a parent's experience and unquestionably their love for them. Not everybody had that kind of a parent. I get that. That's why it's called our father, not the one on earth, but the one in heaven. You see, the the one in heaven has no limits to wisdom. I have limits to wisdom. I could be wrong. I'm often wrong. Has no limits to compassion, no limits to grace, and no limits to resources. I have limits to resources, but my father in heaven does not. He's the perfect father. I don't know if you saw the movie The Shack. Have you seen the movie The Shack? I I know. I I played golf the other day with a guy uh, who said, I'm not going to go see The Shack. He goes, I'm not going to listen to all that false theology. I think, have you seen it? He goes, well, God isn't a middle-aged black woman. I know that. I said, so what is God? An old man with a gray beard? You racist, misogynist person. (laughs) God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And if you actually saw the movie or read the book, you know that he doesn't always appear as a woman. He appears as a man later. The reason he didn't appear as a woman is because that man had an alcoholic, abusive father who beat him. That wasn't a good image for him to see God. And so God in the movie, I encourage you to see the movie. Be discerning, be open-minded, and I know there's a lot of stuff written about the author and he's a universalist and, you know, that everybody goes to heaven. That's not in the movie. I don't know whether he believes that or not, but it's not in the movie. In fact, uh, there is consequence for sin and it's mentioned in the movie as well. But uh, it's interesting that God appears in such a way because he wants a relationship. It's all about a relationship. He appears to that man in a way that the man can understand and appreciate his love. In fact, a middle-aged black lady, the very same lady that appears to him as Papa or God in the movie, was a woman who befriended him as a small child when his dad was beating him. That's the image that he chose, you know, to come and and meet with Mac uh, in the movie. I I think it's an incredible movie. Uh, I would, has my endorsement, and uh, you can write letters later, but... um, I, I, I think there's a lot more good in that than bad. And, it, and it's about intimacy. God wants intimacy. And that's what that movie is all about. So I would encourage that you, uh, that you open yourself to that idea. And then finally, what is prayer? The Lord's Prayer is more about perspective than specifics. He doesn't say, remember to pray for your grandma. Always be in prayer for your children. I'm sure he wants that. He doesn't say, you know, when you're in trouble and confused, you should pray and God will provide direction. He wants that. That's clearly what he would say if it was about specifics. But this prayer is not about specifics. It's about perspective. In, In fact, there are seven petitions in the Lord's Prayer, seven requests in the Lord's Prayer. Six of them are all about your relationship to God. And even the one that is about temporal needs, give us this day our daily bread, is done in a spiritual way. You know, pray for it every day like the Israelites had to pray or give God thanks for manna that he provided every day because he wants that also to be about relationship. You know, the whole prayer is about maintaining a proper perspective with God and God's values in your life because when you do that, All of the various answers and the thousands of answers that are in this room or thousands of concerns will become more clear if you have that relationship with God and if you have his values in your life. 
the answer to the multitude, the thousands of issues that we have will become more clear. So that's why it's the perfect prayer because it says, keep God close, keep his values engaged in your life and you will find the solution to your greatest concerns. And and so he does tell us to keep God's name holy in your life. He does tell us that uh, God's kingdom should not just be done in heaven, but also on earth. His will performed here like it is by the angels. And that we should be forgiven and forgiving and avoid temptation. And uh, Lord, please keep evil far from my door. If, if you do all of that, if you maintain that proper perspective, then the issues of your life will not be... Uh, Uh, issues that are overwhelming for you. The fact that it's about perspective has also shown us in how Matthew continues in this very same chapter, the very same conversation, Jesus goes on to say this right after the Lord's Prayer. He says, the eye is the lamp of your body. Your perception controls how you view your world. If your eyes are healthy, if your perception is right, if you have this relationship with God right and his values working in your life, then your whole life will be a blessing, even the hard stuff. But if your perspective is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. It'll be struggle for you day in and day out. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So God is in this prayer, uh, Jesus in this prayer is saying, maintain the right perspective about who God is, how much he loves you, and allow his values to be uh, working in your life, and then you will have direction uh, in all of your concerns. Every child that continues to maintain a healthy relationship with parents who are sold out for them because they're their child will be in a safe place. And we'll know that they have a fallback position. If that's true for my relationship with my children, how much more is it true for children of the Heavenly Father? So that is what prayer is. It's about perspective, not specifics. And it's about a relationship uh, more than it is ritual. So what is prayer not? Prayer is not merely a one-way conversation, although you may think that. You may think it's like a a Hindu mantra or something you do during yoga, you know, where you center yourself. And I'm not against that. I I think there's something to be said for quieting yourself and and, uh, allowing the noise to go out of your life. I'm not opposed to that, but that's not prayer. When I pray to God, I am connecting with a real power. who has demonstrated love for me in sending his only son, Jesus, to die for me, that doesn't only guarantee me access to heaven at my death, but also guarantees me access to heaven in my prayers now. Jesus, Hebrews says, is a high priest who has gone into heaven and makes intercession for me. Uh, In Romans 8, it says that when I pray and say stupid stuff, Jesus translates my prayer and says, Father, he really doesn't mean that. This is what he really needs, you know, so... He represents my prayers before the Father. Prayer is more than just a one-way conversation. Prayer brings clarity to my life. When I'm struggling with something, I pray, and and often, uh, suddenly clarity will come. He will prompt direction, and what was confusing the day before suddenly becomes obvious to me. God provides spiritual prompting. He also speaks back to me in other people who are in my life. 
And that's common in the Bible. In fact, he used even foreign leaders sometimes to provide direction to Israel. And uh, have you ever been praying about somebody, uh, about something, and, and somebody speaks to you in your life and say, wow, I've just been turning that over in my head. And it may be a parallel conversation, but suddenly it applies to your sense. Or if it's not a person, it may be a circumstance. God doesn't only close doors, he opens windows. And he not only opens windows, he closes doors. You know, he speaks back. It is a dialogue. It is a dynamic situation. And he speaks to us in his word. If you are constantly in his word, every day in his word, doing that, you know, 15, as we say, every day spend 15 in a spiritual exercise, you will be attuned to God. His word will be a living thing for you and it will be applicable in your life and you will even hear his voice providing direction. It's not a static, it's a dynamic situation. That's why we conclude our prayers with hamen, you know, a, a, a Hebrew word that means faithful, certain, assured. And it's not that what I pray will be done, it's just I can know that a parent hears me a parent will do what's best for me, and I can leave it there. And I can have confidence going forward that I've had the conversation I needed to have. Amen. Faithful, reliable, certain. Prayer is not merely a one-way conversation. It actually engages, and God engages me in all the ways that I just said. Prayer also has the power to affect change. It really does change things. You know, just like a parent will have a child say, Dad, I, I really need you to do this. And Dad will say, I, you, know, I, you know, I'd do anything for you, but I just don't think that's good for you. I'm, I, just, I just can't see myself doing that for you. And No, Dad, really trust me. I, I'll be able to handle it. No, I, I just don't think that. No, Dad, please. And he said, okay, but you're not going to like it. You know, I think God sometimes concedes our prayer to teach us a lesson or sometimes he just concedes our prayer because there are other ways to do things and there are examples in the bible where uh, prayer changed god's intention in second kings chapter six elisha who was surrounded and about to be captured because he was helping israel outsmart israel's enemies uh, uh, knew that he was protected by god's heavenly host but his servant was fearful And so Elisha said, open his eyes, Lord. He prayed, open his eyes that he may see what I see. And so the Lord opened the servant's eyes. That wasn't God's intention that he should see. He didn't need to see. He should just believe. But God affected that change. And so the servant looked and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots and he had peace. Or in 2 Chronicles 32, uh, there was the King Hezekiah and God out of compassion for him said, Hezekiah, put your house in order because you're about to die. And Hezekiah said, Lord, please, it's too early. I have things to do. He says, grant me more life. And in Second Chronicles 32, in those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord answered him and gave him a miraculous sign. That's where the shadow moved up the steps instead of down the steps. And he assured him that he would have an extended life. God changed his mind about that. And then in Luke chapter 11, again, right after the Lord's Prayer, here it says, forgive us as we forgive others, and if you don't, uh, then you're going to have a hard way. Uh, In Luke, after the Lord's Prayer, there's a completely different uh, context after the prayer. He goes on to say this. Think about this, and he does it in connection with just having prayed the Lord's Prayer. Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves, because a friend of mine has just come in a long journey, and I have no food to offer him. 
And suppose the man that you go and ask for those loaves says to you, don't bother me, I've gone to bed and my kids are all in bed and I'm not gonna give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not give up, get up to give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, <laughs> he will surely get up and give you as much as you want, just go away, you know. God encourages us, it's a demonstration of faith, to be persistent in our prayer, whatever that issue is. Be persistent because you know God's desires for you. And then he continues right after he says, be persistent and he will, he will move for you. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. God will respond, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks does receive from his father and everyone who seeks will find and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So he encourages persistence in prayer. Now, again, you might say, why me? You know, I'm, an, I'm a nobody. Uh, there are bigger fish to fry. Why would God bother uh, to listen to a prayer from such a person as I? Well, God is passionate about you. In, in fact, if you read the stories about Jesus, he was especially passionate about the person that society overlooked. He helped the blind. He helped the lame. You know, he, he helped the poor. There is no such thing as an insignificant person in the life of Jesus. Even foreign sinful people, he taught his disciples that you should pay attention to them. You know, he said he would leave the 99 sheep because one lost lamb. You know, there's no such thing as an insignificant person in God's sight. I like the way um, Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And again, I'm going to use the message uh, because I, I just like the earthiness of the language in, in his paraphrase of what God said. He said, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this Christian life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. You know, they're too good for faith, too, too big for God. Among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chooses men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses. He chose those nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. So don't ever say you are too unimportant for your father who is in heaven to hear and concern himself with your need. Amen. Let's pray now. Lord, what an awesome gift you've given that we could have a conversation with you and call it prayer. That you have asked us to have those conversations, especially the one-on-one -on -one conversations, not just the, the public prayers in church and not just the memorized prayers, but the, the halting, deliberate, uh, difficult conversations that, that you want us to have with you like every parent wants to have with a child. And that you honor those in, in ways that are uh, precious to us. Lord, thank you for this gift. Encourage us to be more frequent in our use. Through Christ, amen. Please rise if you would. As, as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper, it's proper that we would confess our sin and uh, hear a word of absolution so that we can approach in confidence. And uh, rather than pray a confessional prayer for you. I'm going to just uh, prompt you to pray that prayer uh, according to your circumstance. 
And so uh, pray to God uh, an acknowledgement that, that you haven't been as faithful in conversation with him as you should be. Just, just confess that to him now. And take a moment and and just admit that in your insecurity, you've sometimes judged God as not being concerned for people like yourself. Just just admit that you've sometimes judged God as as, uh, considering you unimportant. then thank him for the absolute assurance we have in the historic fact that Jesus died and rose again from the dead and has granted you not only heaven but access to heaven now through prayer thank him for that assurance in Christ Jesus If this is your sincere confession, then hear the words of God that say, if we confess our sins, he is quick and he is ready to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.